Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, let me see again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Well, here's the bad news. Jesus was not a carpenter. I hate to be the one to tell you that. And you can add that to the list of things that Ken and Tim Sean ruins. Trust me when I say to you that I don't like saying this, as there are a lot of host of folk songs and old hymns, which I love, that refer to Jesus as a carpenter. And to be fair, he probably most certainly knew the craft. Scripture does tell us that his earthly father, Joseph, was indeed a carpenter, which in the cultural context of Nazareth, that little town where they lived, meant that he was a stonemason and most assuredly knew how to work with wood to build frames for the things that he did with stone. Nazareth was a small town. Those who study Jesus speculate that Joseph and Jesus very likely did most of their steady work in the nearby city of Sephoris, where local quarries were put to use by the Roman authorities to build all manner of infrastructure and homes and different things like that. No, Jesus' chosen profession was rabbi. He was a rabbi, he was a teacher, religious teacher. And if the obvious wasn't enough to underscore the point, you know, people calling him rabbi, it was customary for someone who sought to do that work to apply to study with a rabbi, to become an apprentice of sorts, to serve as a student, or in the Greek, a disciple of that rabbi. And then finally, at the age of 30, they would begin their work as a teacher for their own school. Does that ring a bell? Jesus beginning his work at the age of 30. That's one of the pieces of the puzzle. Jesus chose 12 students to start his rabbinic school. And how many did he choose? Anyone? It's a pop quiz. How many students did Jesus have? He had 12. And 12 was a big deal. 12 was important because there were 12 tribes in their collective historical story. 12 was a symbolic and poetic number. A rabbi could have more than 12 students, but that meant they started a separate class. A class had to have 12 students because of that poetry. As Episcopalians, surely we can appreciate the need to stick with the story and the custom. So Jesus was a rabbi, it was his chosen profession, and it always makes me wonder with some fascination who exactly was the rabbi that Jesus as a young man chose to apprentice with? Who was the rabbi who taught God how to be a teacher? <laughs> it doesn't say. But being a rabbi was not all that Jesus did. Right out of the gate, as he started, Jesus added healing the things that he did. Our story today is from Mark's gospel, and that's perfect because Mark, more than any other writer of the four gospels, underscores this extra, as the kids say, this extra thing that Jesus did. Jesus traveled around and he taught, as a rabbi would, he taught his students how to teach to become rabbis in the same manner, and he healed the sick, the crippled, and the blind. 
He did it everywhere he went. It's almost as if, especially as you read it in the Gospel of Mark, it's almost as if he set up clinic everywhere that he went. And it makes me want to answer the question, why? Why did he do this extra thing as the, the leader of his rabbinic school? I think I know the answer. But I can't be exactly sure. I mean, it's a lot of it's just speculation from sort of having read the story and spent time thinking about Jesus. But the answer is not one that I think is going to be very satisfying or comforting to us. It's difficult to bring up because I don't think you're going to like it. I could be wrong. Sickness in the culture and time of Jesus and in their worldview was considered to be connected to their understanding of God's judgment, God's wrath, and also tangled up in that God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Ancient Jews, and not so much modern Jews, but ancient Jews consistently believed that if you were sick, you were being punished. And even if you had not done something wrong, you might find yourself suffering because you're in sort of the the, the circle of somebody who is. You could be the victim of someone else's punishment. You hear this in John's Gospel, chapter 10. Somebody approaches Jesus and asks him about a, a blind man who had been born that way. And they ask, so who was it? Who sinned? This man? This infant? Or his parents? That he was born blind. And I would imagine that most of us as modern listeners, this question leaves us incredulous. God would not punish a newborn infant for the sins of their parents. But most people in that context thought it must be the reason. This was their need, their approach, their, their attempt to try to make sense of the world. They held that the world most assuredly must be fair. And so that led them to strain at this kind of logic. There is suffering in the world. So somebody must have done something to cause it to happen. Dean Churchwell's sermon last Sunday was grasping at this a little bit. In Psalm, you read about, if, if I'm faithful to God, if I delight myself in God, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be protected. This was this transactional understanding of our relationship to God. And so when Jesus begins his work as a rabbi, and everywhere he goes, he makes it a point to set up what amounts to a healing clinic, I think that the reason that he chose to do this very intentional extra thing was because Jesus was making a statement about God's mercy and his forgiveness. People think sickness and suffering is a result of their mistakes. Well, let me show you this. What sort of a statement would it make to show up to a town and simply heal everyone? And so held in this realization are a whole host of tensions, I think, and perhaps for you too. One of those tensions is a desire for me or for someone to fully understand the question of the cause of suffering. And I will tell you as a professional religious person, 
No other question has made me want to hang up my collar more than that one. Sometimes I have what I feel like are pieces, nuances to the answer as to why suffering happens, but then it always ends up hitting a wall. It gets sullied by the harsh reminder of those who are innocent, who are suffering. And I don't have an answer for that. Even the best answers for why there is suffering end up not being fully satisfying. But then maybe it is because of that, and not in spite of it, that Jesus takes up the consistent, messy, what is most assuredly the exhausting act of healing the sick, of giving this kind of good news to people. It doesn't matter why people suffer, apparently, whether it is deserved or undeserved, only that God, fully revealed in Jesus, wants those who suffer to experience healing, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. And so here you have Bartimaeus. Doesn't say whether he was born blind. That's, that's a different story. But Bartimaeus learns that Jesus is visiting the city of Jericho, and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabbi, teacher, let me see again. And Jesus' answer is yes. And embedded in that yes was all the mercy that is available to Bartimaeus and anyone Anyone who is suffering from a skewed perception of God's feelings for them. Jesus gave Bartimaeus what he asked for. He gave him mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.